It's often a fine line that runs between a reason and an excuse. And sometimes it can be tough to tell the difference. So what is the difference between a reason and an excuse? Well, on this edition of the Discover the Word podcast, we're going to talk about reasons and excuses and how sometimes even when God may be calling us to do something, we often hesitate and come up with reasons slash excuses. Elisa Morgan. I have found myself going, but, 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 God, you don't know who I am. You know, you don't really mean me, right? I want us to dive into almost a character study of one human being in the Old Testament. God came to this person in a very dramatic way and invited him into an important role of serving. And his first response was to go, but, 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 but. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to look at excuses that we tend to make to God when he invites us. Mm. Ready to go? Yeah. We'll find out. But, 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 but. Join the group and be part of this study on Discover the Word. And this is the Discover the Word podcast, the small group Bible study from our Daily Bread Ministries with Mark DeHaan, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. And in just a moment, Elisa will tell us who this person is from the Old Testament that we'll be focusing on and some of the excuses he gave for holding back and not wanting to do what God asked him to do. Excuses that will sound very familiar to us because I think we in so many ways do the same thing. We have reasons that may sound good to us in the moment, but really are in the end excuses for not listening to God. And so in addition to identifying some of these common excuses, we also will take note of how God responds to those excuses as well. I think this is going to be a challenging but encouraging hour that we spend studying together. All right, so let's pull our chairs up to the table with the group as Elisa leads this study called But, 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 Excuses We Make to God and How He Responds. You guys, have you ever struggled to respond with a yes when you feel like God has been inviting you into a surprising place to join him in serving? Oh, that's a, <laughs> that's a different kind of question. Yeah. yeah. yeah I think of uh, the first time that I was invited to speak at a Bible conference, and uh, I was a pastor of a medium-ish sized church, and I remember walking to the first service with a friend and just telling him, man, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> I, I am so way in over my head. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. 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 That's a great example. Yeah. And I tend to be one of those people that says yes to things quickly. And then when mm. it gets to the moment of doing it, or maybe the, the moments right before, that's when I realize like, ooh, am I ready for this? Okay, but Daniel, you've helped me now because... As you describe your instinct, mine is the opposite. Hmm. I know for a fact that as a rule, when it's a new kind of opportunity, my instinct is to say, ah, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Hmm. And that's super honest to all of you guys. Thank you. I can think of stuff like bizarro, like I got a phone call from the White House. (laughs) 
<laughs> asking me to come be a part of a, a conference. And I was like, I thought it was a joke. I really did almost hung up and they were sincere. And I went because who wouldn't, you know, and I was just like, what in the world am I doing here? Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, I have felt the same way as a mom. I can remember standing in front of the pantry, trying to come up with something for dinner, going, how did I get to be the person who has to decide what's for dinner every night? You know, <laughs> how did that land on my shoulders? You know, so, you know, whether it's something ginormous or an everyday call to responsibility, I have found myself going, but, 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 but God, you don't know who I am. You know, you don't mm-hmm. really mean me, right? I want us to dive into almost a character study of one human being in the Old Testament. God came to this person in a very dramatic way and invited him into an important role of serving. And his first response was to go, but, 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 but. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to look at excuses that we tend to make to God when he invites us. Mm. You ready to go? Yeah. Okay. We'll find but, out. But, 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 but. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the person we're talking about is Moses. And God comes to him at a burning bush and definitely gets his attention and invites him into a very humbling, startling task. Let's summarize. We have spent different times in the book of Exodus, in the life of Moses. We're going to be in chapters three and four in these conversations. So can we just kind of talk through who's Moses right now? What's happened in his life? Where are we meeting him? Uh, So if we can summarize maybe what's happened in chapters one and two and the first part of three, what do we know about who Moses is, was? I like the way that you even set that up because we have thought about Moses so much that sometimes we forget where he's at in his own life at different stages. And so Mm. with just chapters one and two of Exodus, all we would know about him is he was a Hebrew baby that should have been killed mm-hmm. and somehow ended up rescued by Pharaoh's own daughter and mm-hmm. raised. And if somebody, Daniel says, why should he have been killed? Yeah. Because the king of Egypt felt threatened by the amount of mm-hmm. Hebrew babies that were being born and growing up, felt threatened that they might take over Egypt. And so the Pharaoh or the king of Egypt had all of the baby boys specifically killed. And Moses was rescued by his mom and his sister and then Pharaoh's own daughter who brings Moses in and raises him. Evidently, there's a little bit of Moses knowing where he comes from because when he sees the Egyptians picking on people and specifically they were enslaved. So as he sees them mistreating them, Moses defends them, ends up killing an Egyptian and then runs away in fear for his own life. Yeah. And he ends up in a surprising place. Uh, remind us where he ends up. He meets a, a group of shepherdesses who are the daughters of a priest. And he ends up marrying into the family, right? Mm-hmm. And so now we meet Moses in chapter 3. And he's got this... Um, crazy experience with a burning bush where God calls to him. And and what basically happens there? We're going to be in in chapter 3 and maybe around verses 7 to 10. Bill, do you have that? Sure. Exodus 3, verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. 
I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. And so I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a a good and a spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Okay, God's concerned. Of course, it's been going on a long time, but he's concerned about his people. Makes a little bit of sense that he might tap Moses, who had been with those people for years and years and years, to go in and begin to set them free. He says, I'm going to send you. Okay, verse 11. What does Moses say? But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? And I think that's a haunting question. And I was kind of Mm -hmm. stewing through this. I went back and looked at chapter two just to see, again, where was Moses? What happened with him? He was a Hebrew baby that was brought up in the Pharaoh's court. And yet when he ends up marrying Zipporah, we're told in in chapter 2, verse 22, Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I've become a foreigner in a foreign land. Hmm. 40 years of training in Egypt, 40 years of preparation in Midian. Maybe Moses kind of doesn't know who he is anymore, almost, Hmm. you know, who am I? Can you relate mm. to that? Can you relate to that sense of you're tapping me? How in the world can I address this situation? Mm-hmm. Who am I? Well, and part of it, I think, Elisa, is not just because of how he feels in this moment. I think he's had 40 years to get to the point of feeling this way. So this is now his self-awareness. His self-awareness is this is all I'm ever going to be. Whatever dreams he might have had when he was growing up in Pharaoh's house and being educated and leading armies and all that kind of stuff that we hear about in other parts of the scriptures, whatever his dreams might have been for his life then, those aren't his dreams now. His dreams now are very, very different because 40 years has beaten him out of him. And what happened? Why in the world did he leave? He murdered someone, right? He steps in. So he's got this big secret that he's carrying around. He was raised, as you're right, Bill, Acts 7 tells us that. He was raised in the wisdom of the Egyptians, but that was 40 years ago. And he's become a murderer, even though it was a a Mm. righteous cause, but he carries around that big secret inside himself. Then he's been stripped of all of that royalty and is just a shepherd on the backside of the desert, as Chuck Swindoll called it. He doesn't know who he is. So when God taps him and goes, I'm going to use you, his response is, who am I? Mm. Almost an identity crisis. How does God respond in verse 12? Mart, grab that for us, would you? Okay. Verse 12 says, And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. I've always found that interesting because Mm -hmm. the sign that God offers is something that happens in the future. 
And if I was Moses, I would want the sign right now. <laughs> like, can you go ahead and prove that you're with me right now before right. we go? I mean, maybe that was asking too much because he, I mean, the bush is burning and not burning up and a voice is speaking to him. So maybe that was enough of a sign. But I've always mm. thought that was funny. I would have been like, well, God, why don't we do something right now where you, mm. where you show up? <laughs> and I wonder, Lisa, you rightly make the point that at this point, not only has Moses been in 40 years of reconditioning, in a sense, to a different way to looking at life. But he does have this great secret in his past. And I wonder if maybe his identity crisis isn't only that he no longer knows who he is, but he wonders if God really knows who he is. Ooh, that's so good, Bill. And we feel that way often when we get tapped for something. It's like, you've got to have the wrong person. You know, do you know what I really think about in the middle of the night? Do you know what I did before 930 in the morning today? How can you possibly invite me into serving you? You're all making such great points. And and Daniel, I was struck by that piece too about this sign. It is a future sign. Commentators call it a fulfillment sign. And it's this wooing, which is what I think God actually does for us all when he calls us. He calls us to remember whose we are as much as who we are. Hmm. There's a way in which I think that's what God is saying to Moses. I will be with you. I will offer you the fulfillment of a sign. And it actually, this will be the mountain on which the law is given. Moses is going to walk from royalty Hmm. into humility, back into belonging to God. Seems like that would be so reassuring because in the moment, he has these questions about himself but that's like that vision for the future. It's it's reassuring him, and this is who you're going to be. Mm. You know, through all that's going to be happening, mm-hmm. yeah. this is who you're going to be at that point. You're mm-hmm. still going to be mine. Mm-hmm. And I wonder too. We see it even later in the term Emmanuel, God with us. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus mm-hmm. says, "I will be with you always," and then I will never leave you or forsake you. I mean, the promise of His presence that kind of starts here in this very personal. Mm-hmm sort of way, I think it had to have given him some measure of assurance that he didn't have before. And maybe it takes a little bit of the pressure off too, to try to figure out who he is in the moment. Well, we'll get to that for now. Just know I'm with you, Mm -hmm. right? Like I know you've got questions about who you are and whether this is a task for you or not. We'll get there. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. The first struggle is a struggle of identity. And we're going to see it's an ongoing one, just as you said, Daniel. It's an ongoing one. We don't just like, boom, okay, that's solved. Now I'm ready. We're going to continue to go, who am I to do this task that you've given? And God's going to continue to reveal that he is with Moses and with us as well. And so that is excuse number one we see Moses using in Exodus chapter three. Who am I is kind of an identity excuse. And like him, we can think of all sorts of objections related to our identity as to why we couldn't possibly be fit for what God is asking us to do. But God's response to this excuse is, I will be with you. So hang on to that response. You're going to hear it again. But uh, Moses wasn't even close to being done with his excuses. And so let's keep moving forward in this incident in Exodus. And we'll hear another. After doubting himself, Moses has doubts about God as well. Are you guys journal keepers? Yep. Are you? 
Do you have like a, 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 you know, a book kind of journal or do you do sticky notes or do you do it on your computer? I'm a millennial, so we use moleskines and then cover them (laughs) in like leather and then we sit (laughs) with a iced coffee out on a beautiful spot and journal our thoughts. Okay, I got enough. (laughs) (laughs) And this old guy is a scribbler, maybe on Mm post-its, usually on something that I end up throwing away. (laughs) I love it. I've kind of been all versions of what you just described. You know, I've got the the hard bound journal. I've got the stickies that I put into the journal. I've got my computer with different file names with journaling thoughts. In your journal, I'm wondering, have you wrestled with God in terms of doubt in your thinking or your writing or your your memories? Because if when I go back to mine at times, I come up with doubt more than I thought. What kind of doubt are you talking about, Elisa? Like, how in the world are you going to fix this situation, God? Or mm-hmm. I am stuck in this request that I can't possibly fulfill, God. What are you going to do about it? Or mm-hmm. I'm just in a corner and I'm feeling really depressed. Mm-hmm. And when you get to all of that, the core behind that, and that's why I bring up journaling, because that's where I've been able to do some work to figure out what's behind these questions I might write down. And it's like, I'm actually doubting God more than anything else. I just don't believe he cares, is there, um, has enough power. I doubt myself whether or not I've done. Why isn't something happening, Lord? What is it I've had? What can I do? I don't doubt God as much as I doubt me. And I figure if God's not doing something, it's probably my fault. Yeah. And if I could just get myself squared away, then probably God would have the freedom to work. But since I'm such a mess, that gets in his way. Yeah. Well, I doubt that God exists at times, that he's real, that he's helpful, that he's good. So I identify 100% with what Bill and Mart, you're saying as well, of doubting myself, and that would be found in my journal too. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I'm truly honest, there are just as many questions about whether God exists and whether he's good and whether he's working toward the flourishing of the world as there are about doubts for myself. Are those passing doubts? Um, depends, I think. I think some of them are lingering questions that maybe don't have answers on this side of eternity, but I want to try to find answers to those questions. Mm-hmm. And then I think some of them are moments where God invites me to look back on the moments where I have seen him work. And that brings confidence again of him being with me. Mm-hmm. So some of them are passing and then some of them are those deep questions that just stick around because they don't have good answers. I think, um, we can doubt God and we can doubt ourselves, but even when we doubt ourselves, we're actually also doubting God and his ability to work in ourselves. You know, there's just this kind of conundrum we can go into, and I don't want us to get stuck there, but instead to bring out this topic as one that we wrestle with in different ways, perhaps. As we look at Moses, when God met him at a burning bush and tapped him to serve by going into Egypt and bringing God's people out of slavery. Moses' gut response is, but, 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 you know, a, a series of excuses as to why that is a super bad plan. And no, thank you very much. In our first conversation, we looked at his excuse of kind of an identity crisis. Who am I to do this? And in this conversation, we want to look at 
the second excuse that I see, and you actually could call these excuses anything you want to. I've tried to grab hold of a label so that I can understand mm. what was going through Moses. I was going to ask you about that, Elisa, because, I mean, to us, thousands of years later, we read the story and we know how it ends. And it's kind of like, well, you know, he's just a coward or he's just this or he's just that. I think, you know, to me, I wonder if excuses is a fair characterization because I guarantee you to him, these aren't excuses. These are reasons. That's really good. I'm looking back at this story, mm-hmm. trying to get into Moses' skin and understand what was going on with him. And one of his reasons that I would see in myself as an excuse is, you know, I'm not sure, God, who you are. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to ask me, who is this God? And what am I supposed mm-hmm. to say? I've got nothing here. And we get into a very kind of weird answer from God. We're going to be in chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Somebody grab that for us. It says, But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. Okay. What do you think Moses is actually asking God for? Is it about his name or his character? or What is he actually asking? Well, I think before we can even think about that, if we're going to try to really relate to him, we've got to understand that he comes into this event with a whole lot less information than we have. Mm-hmm. Any understanding of God goes back hundreds of years to people who've been dead for generations and are kind of a fading memory he doesn't have all the stuff we have. And so it seems to me like these are pretty legitimate questions. I mean, if I'm going to do this, I got to know who you are and I've got to know what this is about. And I think he's coming out of a, almost a vacuum of information. Whereas you said, Elisa, sometimes you hear these excuses in yourself. When I hear these excuses in myself, I know it's against a whole lot more information than what he had. Mm-hmm. Bill, what would you do with the fact that he was with his uncle for many years, who was a priest? I would say, I don't know what to do with that because I don't know what that meant for his uncle to be a priest. I don't know if if he was a priest that was going to kind of be a similar priest to what they would have later at Mount Sinai or something. I really don't know what to make of that, except for in some way, he was apparently some kind of spiritual advisor. Yeah. But beyond that, I wouldn't know what to make yeah, of it. Yeah, because you're right, because the priesthood didn't exist yet in Israel. Yeah. And the other thing, too, that... In the cultural backdrop that Moses is in, lots of gods with lots of different names. And so if Moses is going to go to the people and say that you're the God of your ancestors is going to rescue you, there's a very legitimate question of like, which God is that again? Like we're in Egypt right now, and here's the list of Egyptian gods that we see. Which God is it was the God of our ancestors? And so there's even that at play here too. I love that you guys are bringing out a sincerity of questioning that comes and shapes itself as doubt in Moses, because that's just so legitimate. And think too, you know, Moses had spent his growing up years in Egypt Moses maybe was completely confused, as you're suggesting. So this doubt that comes is a very legitimate question about who is God? What's his name? What's his character? How will he prove who he is? How will he use Moses? How will he show up? And God gives an answer that I 
to me, is also confusing. I am that I am. How do you unpack that in Hebrew? Well, there's a few different phrases, and some Bibles will have notes in them of the different ways that this could be said. So it could be I am that I am, or I am what I am, or I will be what I will be. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's a lot of ways to in- even interpret those words. And there's similarities in all of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he reduces it down to tell them I am has mm-hmm. sent you. So the bottom line is I am. Now, I don't know what Moses would have understood that to mean. Mm-hmm. We kind of have a sense because we see Jesus using I am a bunch of times in the Gospel of John and fleshing that out. We understand God's the God of the eternal present tense and all that. I'm trying to figure out what in the world would Moses have understood God to be saying yeah. to him. It sounds like a statement of reality, though, that it's a measure of one who always is, mm-hmm. always has been, always yes. will be. And it kind of goes back to our previous conversation where we talked about, you know, God's going to be with Moses, and that's how he's going to solve the identity, who am I kind of question of Moses' insecurity of who am I. He's going to be with him. In this mysterious I am promise, there is a past, present, and future mentioned. And he goes on in verses 16 to 22 or so describing exactly what's going to happen. And there is this kind of historic presence of God that he's provided in the past and he's going to provide in the future in the face of a reason slash excuse that really says, you can't send me, God. I don't even know who you are. Yeah, and to send it to a nation who didn't know who they were because they had obviously forgotten. Yes. In that objection, God is almost saying, remember who I was to your forefathers and count on me being that past, present, and future with you in the face of whatever doubts or unknowingness you might have about me right now. And I think about myself in my journal again. (laughs) Help us when we face doubts as to, is God going to be with me in this? Is there a real God that I can count on? How do I count on that here? Maybe by just asking God the question and trusting that he's big enough that we can ask him things like, who are you really? And what are you up to? And when he answers in a mysterious phrase, (laughs) sometimes we open scripture and we go, I don't understand how this fits. And we start to doubt, wonder, worry even. Can we hold on to the fact that God has said who he is, past, present, and future? And then in that, there is some kind of an answer even there. And maybe accept the gift that I think Bill has alluded to a few times, which is for us, we have a little bit different of a context because we have a bunch more pages that follow this. And Mm -hmm. Moses is stuck it here in the story and dealing with these questions. But we have a whole bunch more books that we can read that lead us to Jesus and give us a little bit more of a picture of who God is and how he works in the world. And there you have excuse number two, one that comes out of wrestling with doubt. And once again, I think we can identify with Moses here because when we're wrestling with doubt, It can be so easy to forget how God has been faithful to us over the years. But his promise is that he's still there. He's still with us, and we can trust him. Well, in just a moment, we're going to see that Moses has another objection. He has another excuse for not wanting to follow God's leading, and it has to do with fear, fear of 
rejection, fear of getting it wrong. Ever use that excuse? <laughs> well, stay with us. Elisa and Mart and Bill and Daniel will talk about that next after a quick timeout. Hey friends, thank you for studying the Bible with us on Discover the Word. It's so much fun to study together and to hear the perspectives of other men and women who have so much wisdom and perspective on what the Bible meant for its original audience and how the Bible can relate to us today too. And we have had so many experts and Bible teachers on the show over the years. Did you know that right now at discovertheword.org you can access hundreds of different series and thousands of different conversations on so many different topics and passages? In fact, one of my favorites that happened well before my time is called The Land Between with pastor and author Jeff Mannion. And this isn't just a series I've enjoyed, but many of our listeners mention this particular conversation as one they have really liked as well. So check out discovertheword.org today and search the archives for The Land Between or have some fun browsing for a different topic or passage that speaks to where you're at right now. Again, that's discovertheword.org discovertheword.org And now back to but, but, but excuses we make to God and how he responds to our excuses. A good while ago, maybe 10 years or so, maybe longer, I remember hearing that God will equip you for that to which he has called you. And I think I've seen it on plaques and in letters and stuff like that since, and it's an interesting thought are y'all familiar with that sentence and how does it hit you? God will equip you for that to which he has called you. I've heard similar things before, and I think sometimes that's true. Sometimes God calls us to things and then equips us uh, or maybe even prepared us in some way in advance for something that he's called us to. And then when we step into it, we're like, wow, I didn't even realize I was ready for this, but God had been working in the past. But I think the Bible is also equally full of stories where people aren't equipped and have to lean on God for God's wisdom, his direction, his strength, his ability. And I think the invitation in even the New Testament is for us to lean on the Holy Spirit to do in us what we often can't do ourselves. I'm wondering, though, Daniel, whether the distinction is really there, because isn't the point of God equipping us that he will give us what we need? And even in your description, God is still providing the Spirit in the moment that it is needed. Yeah, that's a great point. And maybe it depends on what we mean by equip, because sometimes yeah. maybe we translate equip as I'm prepared for whatever. Mm -hmm. And maybe in that way, sometimes we aren't prepared. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. But you're right. The way the Holy Spirit works in us sometimes gets to the end result. Yeah. yeah and I think of it in terms even of spiritual giftedness. Mm -hmm. I may not have the spiritual gift of encouragement, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean God can't help me to encourage people. That's right. Mm -hmm. I love that illustration. I can remember a time when my husband was in a leadership position at church and we were newly married and, you know, kind of in a stage in our own walk with God where we were trying to discover and discern what our spiritual giftings were, you know, and there are times in your life when you take tests about these things and do inventories and such. And his top of the mind gifts were not the ones that were needed in this leadership position. And we both were questioning, well, why was he in this leadership position if we didn't see that kind of gifting? 
And lo and behold, God provided some abilities that he'd never seen in his life before. So I hear what you're saying. You know, we can't categorize this and compartmentalize this all down into neat columns and say, okay, now I'm ready and off I go to serve God. Most of the time, God's invitation to join him in his work is a fluid invitation and a fluid response. And usually we struggle to say yes, because we don't feel prepared or equipped. As we're looking at Moses and looking at his burning bush call to go and set the Israelites free from slavery in Egypt, um, he has a series of objections, questions, legitimate struggles, legitimate. And, you know, we've isolated an identity question. Who am I? I'm a nobody. It's like he didn't know why he would ever be called to do this work. And then we looked at doubts that rose up. Well, who are you, God? You know, how do I know I can trust you? And today we come into another one that I'm going to see laid into this section of scripture in Exodus 4 is fear, just plain old fear. Mm -hmm. You know, what if they don't believe me? And how does God respond to that? So if we can, let's go ahead and look at how this conversation continues. This is Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. Let's just read through this. It starts off again with another question that Moses raises. Uh, Daniel, you want to start us? Sure. So Moses is responding to God's, I am who I am, and I'm going to rescue them, and it's going to go so well that the people in Egypt are even going to give them stuff on the way out the door. (laughs) Then Moses answered, But suppose they, the Israelites, do not believe me or listen to me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Yeah. (laughs) This is the point where I would be saying, "Uh, Lord, uh, I've got a few doubts here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. And so Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak, he said. And so Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you or heed the first sign, they may believe the second sign. If they will not believe even those two signs or heed you, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, the water you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Okay, Daniel, you got what you wanted (laughs) because before in an earlier conversation, you said God gave him a sign that was future and you wanted one (laughs) right now. So now he's got them right now. There Mm -hmm. you go. I get the excuses here. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) What resonates there, Mart? Pick up the snake by the tail. I mean, (laughs) I don't even think the passage does justice to the fear that must have been in that moment. (laughs) I so agree. And his objection in verse one, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? You know, that's the Mm -hmm. root here. Mm -hmm. That's the fear. And then God goes on to equip him, right? Equip him with these signs. It's stunning to see what these signs are. You know, you've got this staff and it's transformed into a snake. Now, is there significance for a snake to the Egyptians here? 
Probably, because snakes are one of the symbols of their gods, right? And God is trying to demonstrate that his power is greater than an Egyptian god's power. Hmm. God would give Moses power over the powers of Egypt. And then he goes on to the illustration of the hand becoming leprous, white as snow, and then restored. The Egyptians considered leprosy incurable, as did most Mm -hmm. people. So again, God has power. So how can we relate to this? It seems to me, Elise, that there's another piece of this. And if I'm taking you off base, just put us back on base. But it seems to me that God's also pulling back layers of his identity because he started off as this voice and then... I am that I am, or I am, or I am what I will be, or whatever. And now he's connecting them directly to their history. I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so it seems like as he goes along, not only is he given Moses more signs and things tangibly that he can hook onto, but he's also giving him more connecting points for his understanding of who God is. That's so good, Bill. God is revealing past, present, future, who he is, and how he's going to provide for Moses. And mm-hmm. and we're going to see eventually that Moses follows through. But in these moments, it's hard to understand how these signs will address Moses' fear. Yeah. In fact, if you look at verse 3, the Lord said, throw this staff on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. And then what's that last little phrase? What does Moses do at, at the end of verse 3? He ran away. He ran away, yeah. So even when God goes, I'm going to equip you, you know, Moses' response is still fear. But some of this message must be getting through to him because when God tells him to grab it by the tail and pick it up, which, as Mark rightly said, in a million years, who would do that? Mm -hmm. And yet Moses Mm -hmm. trusts that God enough at this point that he's willing to do what he said. I think that's astounding. There's a a phrase that one of my friends uses in... uh, when you confront fear and she says, um, when you know a command or an invitation is coming from God and you're afraid, she said, uh, do it scared, do it scared. Mm. And, you know, you think about Peter and Jesus says, come to me on the water and he's afraid and he gets out of the boat. He does it scared. Or you think about, you know, Mary at the tomb and she's afraid. She thinks Jesus is a ghost and he says her name and she turns towards him and she believes. Do it scared. Sometimes, and we've heard this before, you know, our response when God calls to us, when we respond and say yes, even if we're scared, that's when the equipping comes to us. That's when the enabling comes to us. I think that's a really good point. I think that's realistic. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps us to not be waiting for some kind of a confidence that enables us to say, okay, God, I got it. Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. really important. Yeah. And it takes us back to where the conversation started. Where we were talking about, well, what does it mean to be equipped? And Moses's question is, what if they don't believe me? And the Lord's response is for God to do things, right? So it's not (laughs) like he's not doing something miraculous in Moses, although he's obviously doing something miraculous and that he's increasing Moses's trust in him, but he's actually working with Moses or uh, proving that he's the God that he introduced himself to Moses as the God who is with you. And so that equipping that's happening is God doing this work 
to help mm-hmm. Moses be believed. I never thought about it before, Elisa, but as I'm listening to Daniel, my mind keeps going back to what you said earlier. It's almost like the very fact that he ran away from the snake shows that he's being realistic. The very fact that he came back and picked it up by the tail shows that he's learning. Yeah. What do we say, though, when faced with the, the fact that God hasn't given me miracles? <laughs> you know, God's not giving me a rod to throw down and see it turn into a snake. And the signs are, as we had in another conversation, they're almost like promises of his ability to fulfill what he says being true. And in those moments, Mark, thanks for the honesty of that question. Lots of times we have to look back at what God has provided and go, okay, oh, oh, he did provide. He gave me some answers for my kids' really tough questions. He gave me the right words to say in a very difficult conflict. Or, you know, I saw him show up and in a weird way give me peace when I shouldn't be peaceful when my loved one mm-hmm. was deathly ill. When you look back at some of these moments, sometimes that's our sign. That's where we find that we are equipped is we remember what he's done in the past and we then are able to trust him for what he might do next in our lives. I think most of us are aware that the fear of public speaking is like the number two fear in the United States. If you had to list them all, it's just way, 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 way up there at the top. Why is that? Fear of being exposed has to be a big part of it, Hmm. of getting up there and looking stupid or saying something wrong or Mm -hmm. just being in front of people and having them look at you. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Isn't a lot of it too just personality? I guess, but it's so universal. But to different degrees though. Okay. Right? For sure. Everybody isn't absolutely petrified, but uneasy to be sure. Yeah, I heard that it was number one and that death came in third. (laughs) But uh, I think that there is a sense of shading in there. Almost anybody, given the size of a crowd, would feel less comfortable than they would maybe talking to four or five people Mm -hmm. or uh, a group of friends or something like that. Mm -hmm. Don't you get the sense that some people just love to be in front of a group? Yeah, I do. But it's been surprising how many of those people that I've met or talked to that admit to how nervous they are before they get in front of people. Yeah. So even mm-hmm. the people that come across as super chill and comfortable and they're funny and everybody's laughing and having a good time, even some of them, it's surprising mm-hmm. how nervous they were before they step foot on stage. They don't present that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to, and I can't speak universally of people, but a lot of it comes down to what are they going to think of me? Mm -hmm. Not what are they going to think of what I have to say? What are they going to think of me? Mm -hmm. And so much of our own self-worth or value or whatever it is, is put on the chopping block. And as Daniel said, it gets exposed in ways that we're not real comfortable with. And it's a little bit ironic. The four of us here have all been invited by God, I'm going to say, onto platforms to speak. And every person, I'm just going to say, has had some moments where we've experienced some inadequacy, thinking, Mm -hmm. I don't know what to say. Uh, Who am I to talk here? I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to offend somebody, whatever. And we can fill in those blanks. As we're looking at the struggles that Moses had to respond to God's invitation to go and free 
the Hebrews from the Egyptians. We've got a list of his objections that we looked at his identity, we looked at his doubt, we looked at his fear. And right now we want to look at his inadequacy. And he makes a very strong statement that at surface value we can all relate to. And I want us to look at it now. Let's grab Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, and see what Moses next raises as his struggle to God. Daniel, could you grab that? Sure. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Okay, what does that mean, to be slow of speech, slow of tongue? Well, I know there's been scholars that have suggested that he might have some kind of actual speech impediment and Mm -hmm. be slow of speech or slow of tongue, meaning that there's a stutter or Mm -hmm. not able to communicate clearly. And then there's been others that just say he's expounding on the idea of eloquence and admitting that he's not very eloquent in his speech. Mm -hmm. So uh, we don't know for sure, but it could be that he has some kind of issue that he's not able to speak clearly. And I really identify with that, uh, Daniel, because when I went to Bible college, uh, I was very self-conscious of the fact that having grown up in Appalachia, that I had a very strong hillbilly accent. And uh, people make fun of hillbilly accents. And so there were a lot of times I didn't want to open my mouth just because I knew that the sound that it would make was a sound that people tended to ridicule. Mm, That's painful, Bill. We are so mean to each other. (laughs) We really Mm. are. Thank you for sharing that. Um, You know, Moses, we already know too, had a major slip up as the reason he left Egypt. He murdered someone. And this isn't a big fact known to the universe. So there's another sense that that shame over his sin could also hold him back. Bill, you've helped us see several times that, you know, we in the 21st century open up Exodus and we lay all of our understanding on top of it. But here's Moses having this interaction with a God that he doesn't really know. You know? Mm-hmm. And if we enter Moses' skin right here, he feels inadequate. He feels less than. He does not feel eloquent. He describes himself as being slow of tongue, slow of speech, never being eloquent, neither in the past nor since God's been starting to talk to him. That's a huge struggle, and to think that God's going to lay leadership on him. And the Lord really doesn't disagree with him, does he? Mm-mm. He doesn't. No. He doesn't. But before we go to what God says, as we've pointed out in many of our conversations, we have the benefit of the entirety of Scripture to lay on top of moments like this that are more immediate and maybe... Um, one-layered, if you will. So let's take another section of Scripture where Moses is described by Stephen. Bill, would you get Acts 7, 20 to 22? Mm-hmm. And what might we learn about Moses's speech from this description? Yeah, Stephen's actually on trial for speaking out in favor of Christ. And he gives the religious leaders a history lesson. And part of it, obviously, is going to include Moses. So it says, beginning in verse 20 of Acts 7, it was at this time that Moses was born, and he was lovely in the sight of God, and he was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after he had been exposed, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. 
And Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and in deeds. And in fact, in my translation, it says he was educated in the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in speech and action. That's like the mm. opposite of what he's raising here to God as mm. an objection, isn't it? Mm. How can we have such different understandings? Well, there's 40 years difference. 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years taking care of sheep, 40 years not exercising those abilities that he'd had when he was younger in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Mm. And who of us hasn't felt a little rusty? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, Maybe you've been out of the workforce raising kids, and now you go back into the workforce, and you think, how do I demonstrate my competency here? Or maybe you haven't led a Bible study in years and years and years, and you're invited into a teaching position, and how do I prepare myself? There are moments when whatever. I think we could all relate to that. But, you know, in this case, though, he does say, he says, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past Mm -hmm. nor since you've Mm -hmm. spoken to your servant. Mm -hmm. What do you think that means? Well, as I hear it, I think he's so far removed from those other things, it's like another life. I mean... The other night, Marlene and I were watching something on TV, and it just showed an overhead shot of jam-packed highways in Southern California. (laughs) And we kind of looked at each other and said, did we really live in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. for three years? I mean, almost a surreal thing that we couldn't imagine that we actually did. I mean, we know we did, Mm -hmm. but it's like, how did we really do that? You lose touch Um, with that reality. Yeah, Yeah. I could see that. There's a difference, too, I think, when... We're talking about ourselves and when other people talk about us sometimes too. So we have Stephen looking back and reflecting on Moses. But here in the story, we're hearing Moses describe himself. And obviously there's something within Moses, whether it's because he's lost track of who he was in Egypt and feels like another life, or whether it's because even when he was good at speaking. He never felt he was good at speaking. Mm, That's good. Stephen has the benefit of his whole entire life to look back on, which includes, Mm -hmm. you know, the plagues and speaking to Pharaoh and and bringing people out and the Ten Commandments and then the Ten Commandments too. And then, you know, on and on and on, layer after layer after layer, which is the sum total of Moses' life. How does God respond? Look at verses 11 and 12. Mark, can you grab that in in chapter 4? The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Isn't it I, the Lord? Now go. I'll help you speak. I'll teach you what to say. God's promise, God's words to Moses are, I made your mouth. You don't think you're eloquent, but I made your mouth. I made your tongue. I will be with you yet again. He has said that a couple of times now, hasn't he? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Every time Moses brings up a reason or an objection or perhaps an excuse, we don't know. But every time he does, God says, the answer is not in you. The answer is in me. Mm -hmm. And it's when we try to create the answers in ourselves that we get into so much trouble. It's when we start looking for the answers in him that maybe the pressure comes off a little bit. (laughs) Well, that's true. Yeah, especially because some of us, especially those of us that use words a lot for a living, Mm -hmm. we think, oh, if only I had the right words, 
this would be fixed. Or if only I had the right words, Mm -hmm. this person would believe in Jesus. Or if only I had the right words, da-da-da, would happen. Mm -hmm. And so we actually, on the extreme opposite, put faith in our words. And the invitation here that's so freeing is that whether we're good of speech or not good of speech, it's God who is with us and can use us for his glory, for the good of others, and for our own good. Every time we come up with an excuse as to why we can't do something, God is reminding us that the solution is with him, not with us. He is with us always. Well, that was excuse number four that Melissa's gave that uh, we can identify with because it's a big one. Feeling inadequate, not enough, but, but, but excuses we make to God and how he responds. Well, one more excuse to talk about coming out of Exodus chapter 4, and we will get to it after this preview about our next Discover the Word podcast. Next time on the Discover the Word podcast, Daniel Ryan Day leads a special week of conversations for Holy Week. Holy Week is the week that begins with Palm Sunday and ends with the resurrection of Jesus. And it's called Holy Week because regardless of which denominational background you come from, everybody sees this week as really pivotal and important to the Christian story. So we're going to look at the events that happen throughout that week, specifically the events that revolve around Jesus. Yeah, and Daniel has names for each of the days. And so learn more about Palm Sunday, Mystery Monday, Twisted Tuesday, Wicked Wednesday, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and of course, Resurrection Sunday. Don't miss those conversations for Holy Week on the next Discover the Word podcast. And now one more excuse Moses gave to God, one that you may have tried too. Have you ever said no, just flat out no, to an invitation that came to you from God? You knew he was asking you to do something and you said no. How would we know? How did we know that he was asking us? And that's skirting the question. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just go ahead and say yes. When I graduated from Bible college, I went on the faculty and taught for three years. And as I was starting my third year, I had an invitation from a group who wanted me to, to help them start a church and be their pastor. And I had absolutely no desire to be a pastor. And so I told him, I'll help you get started, then I'll send one of my students, but I will not be your pastor. Wow. And um, I knew that that was the wrong answer. I don't know how I knew it, to your point, Mark. Uh, I don't know how I knew it. I just sensed (laughs) that I was not giving the answer I was supposed to give. I was trying to give a compromise that would leave me in my comfort zone, but give them something to get started with. But uh, eventually I ended up being their pastor anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's hard to know. The story that comes to mind for me is of me thinking that I was saying no and feeling very guilty about that and full of regret. And then much later, the Lord shining light back on that part of my life and showing me how he was directing my steps, Mm -hmm. even in a situation where I thought that I was doing the opposite of what God wanted. So it's tricky sometimes to know. I so agree. And Mark, your question is very fair. How do we know? You know, we live in a relationship with God 
through Jesus. It's a daily relationship. And, you know, sometimes it's really clear that the Lord is, you know, nudging us to reach out to our neighbor, or he's, you know, asking us to stand up against something that's just plain old wrong, or he wants us to resolve a conflict. And, you know, and and they're just life moments. They're not fancy things you necessarily journal about or have a scripture and a poem to go with. It's just a matter of as we walk in relationship with him, we sense a, a nudge. I could say, when I knew I needed to step down from a leadership role, I knew God was asking me into a season of quiet, but I resisted that because it was so unfamiliar to me. And so I filled up my time with stuff, you know, until somebody gently pointed out to me that I felt really clingy and kind of desperate and what's the matter with me? And I went, oh, okay, I'm not listening to God. I'm not Mm -hmm. responding. It could be something like that. Or it can be, I just step into disobedience. Uh, There was a woman God was nudging me to be kind to, and I was too impatient with my agenda and what I wanted to get done in the day to pause for what her need was. And so I said no that way. So saying no to God can be a fancy no of call, like you're saying, Bill, Daniel, or it can be a daily resistance to him. Does it have to happen in the moment, though? How do you mean? What do you mean? Well, even with that woman, did did you know at the time that you yes. were wrong? Or yes. was it on? Oh, you did. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. I just feel like so much of life when it comes to knowing what God is asking of us it happens through reflection. And yeah. We have to weigh things along the way. Yeah, like Daniel was saying, I agree with that too. If we can hold those examples as we look at this last excuse or objection that Moses gave to God's invitation, I think maybe we'll get further with it because it's a confusing one to me. Mm-hmm. We've looked at four different elements, his identity crisis, his doubt, who are you, God? His fear, what if they reject me? And his inadequacy, I'm not eloquent, I can't possibly do it. And we all can relate to those. But we come to another one. This is still in chapter 4 of Exodus, and it's uh, verse 13. Let's just pick it up and see what is this next objection that he gives. Bill, could you grab it? And we've just yeah. again heard him talk about God saying, I'm going to help you speak. I'll teach you yeah. what to say. And then verse 13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please. Send someone else. (laughs) As I'm reading those words, you know, a minute ago you were saying, Elisa, you know, maybe God's trying to tell you something and you're just not listening. I almost feel like with Moses, he's trying to tell God something and he feels like God's not listening. (laughs) Maybe maybe you aren't hearing me. (laughs) Let me just come straight out and say, no, no. He's been doing the passive aggressive, like, oh, yeah, well, I could, but I'd rather not. And, And then finally at the end, Moses is just like, okay. I guess I haven't been clear enough. Let me just be clear here. No, please send Mm -hmm. someone else. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He's not the only person in Scripture who said no, is he? Yeah, Jonah, right? Yeah, Jonah, (laughs) big one right there. No, I don't want to go to the Ninevites. How about John Mark who left a missionary trip with Paul? Nope, I'm not going to do that. How about David? I'm not going to follow what you say to do. I'm going to go ahead and sleep with Bathsheba. I'm going to kill her husband. Nope, nope, no thanks. Yeah, I think just about every time in the Bible or in normal life when somebody messes up, there's some kind of a no to God in the midst of it. There you go. Even if it may not be a conscious no, Mm -hmm. like this is with Moses, Mm -hmm. I think there's something in us that's resisting Mm -hmm. what we Mm -hmm. deep down know God wants from us or what God knows is best for us. Mm -hmm. 
And we're saying no to that because we're saying yes to something else. Mm-hmm. And we can't get inside of Moses' heart and see what the reason was for this flat out no. We have ideas from some of the things he said and the verses up to this. But if we get inside our own hearts, why do we say, pardon me, God? <laughs> I love that phrase. Mm-hmm. Pardon me, God. Would you send someone else? Why do we do that? What's really deep inside? I think it's fear. There's got to be some level of fear. Yeah. yeah. I think it's fear, and I think sometimes that fear manifests itself in a self-protective kind mm-hmm. of way. Mm-hmm. We're trying to protect ourselves or our time or our priorities or our whatever, and we're doing it because we're afraid something that we're kind of holding close is going to be disrupted. Yeah, if we take the story of... Israel and Moses and God, at the root of it, there is this passion that God, please people, would you let me love you? Please people, would you let me care for you? Please people, would you choose me above any other God? Because I am the one true God and I made you for me. This huge truth, you know, lays underneath these objections and and holds them and resists and becomes the tug of war. How does God respond? So let's read verses 14 to 17, because I think his response is as surprising as Moses' refusal. Can we read it around? um, Maybe, Mark, could you start us off? Chapter 4, verse 14. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what you shall do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. (laughs) What's interesting to me is that it describes the Lord's anger, but then it's like he's all in. Okay, what about your brother Aaron and Levi? (laughs) You know, I had to look twice at that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's because we relate God's anger to our anger. When we're angry with somebody, we're angry with somebody because of something that we're really upset about, usually because of us. But when God's angry at Moses, it's because Moses is resisting the very best thing that God has for him. And God wants him to experience that best thing. Mm. And so it's a different quality of anger, I think. Okay, and it must result in a certain kind of relenting as well. And maybe I didn't read it with the right kind of emphasis. Because it must be that the Lord was, if he was angry for whatever reason that he saw in Moses, he must be now in a mood of relenting to Moses' reluctance. Yeah, I mean, he gives him the gift of help. Yeah. Instead of what we might do, which is anger and then punish in some way. Yeah. Right? That's right. His response is to bring help to, all right, Moses, you know what? If that really is the thing that you feel like is getting in the way of you being able to do this, what if we take Aaron with us? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, Elisa, you've been leading us through this all through these conversations that God keeps meeting Moses where he is. And so God says, okay, let's work with that. I'll bring in Aaron to help you. You've got your rod. I'm going to be there. It'll be enough. Yeah, and I feel like throughout the story of the Bible, that's how God often interacts. He meets us where we are, but doesn't leave us there, right? He calls us to the better version of being human or to deeper life or more abundant life or becoming more who he has created us to be. But 
he doesn't meet us in the end result first, but he lets the end result come with process. And so God meets us right where we are with this invitation to something deeper, to growing more, to becoming more like him. If we can, when we sense God inviting us, if we can lean into who he is, that he is a God who, as you said, Bill, wants the best for us in his invitation. If we can lean into that, perhaps we can address our objections to how he couldn't possibly do that for us. And the other thing I think we can see in this passage is that even though Moses refuses, I don't think God's purposes, his ultimate purposes are thwarted. He loves Moses enough that he was inviting him into the best. But when Mm. Moses pulled back from it, God relented as your word, Mart. It's a good one. God provided a way Mm. that would still be the best for his people and still provide the help that Moses needed. So what invitations might God be bringing to each of us today, just in our daily relationship with him or in a fancy way, as I've been saying it? What excuses might we be offering? What objections might we make that really have to do with more his character and what we believe about him than with us? And how might God be preparing his provision for the very places where we feel unready or unqualified in order to help us to say yes to what his best is? And I think what's so important, Elisa, is what you've been emphasizing. It's really God's attitude that can win our heart, his gentleness. He doesn't bully us, even though he's angry, at least that's the term. He is so gentle with with Moses. A great conclusion to these conversations called, But, 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 Excuses We Make to God and How He Responds. Thank you, Elisa, for leading us in this discussion. I think we've all been challenged to check our motives when we're thinking about turning down an opportunity that God may be calling us into to ensure that we're not coming up with excuses that come out of identity issues or doubt, fear, inadequacy, or just stubbornly because we want to say no. Discover the Word is the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. We are grateful that you chose to make Discover the Word part of your day or part of your week. We are part of the mission of Our Daily Bread Ministries to bring the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible to people all around the world. And it's thanks to the faithful support from friends like you that we're able to do that. Even the smallest donation does make a difference. And so if you'd like to partner with us, you can give a donation online at discovertheword.org. You can give a one-time gift or you can give a recurring monthly gift as a Discover the Word partner. Click on the Donate button at discovertheword.org. You can give safely and securely right there. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.